I want to be honest with you. My name is Denny, and I am an Olympic junkie. <laughs> I loved it all. How many of you watched it? At least part of it, somewhere along the way. I mean, I watched it from the beginning to the end. From the opening ceremony to the closing ceremony, and as much as my schedule would allow me in between. I love every aspect of it. I love the competition. I love how amazing some of these athletes are. I love the behind-the-scenes stories of all the countries and all the nations. There are so many amazing things when I watch that. I get emotional every time I see the ceremony, every time I see the person stand there with a gold medal around their neck or a bronze or a silver, and their national anthem is played and the tears come down. I get emotional. I know that's hard for you to believe. But I get emotional. I mean, the stories of some of these people, what they did and what they accomplished, working forever, all of those years in preparation for that one moment of time. And some of them, after years and years and years of trying, got to that moment and didn't succeed. They had put their whole life into that particular event or that particular preparation, and then they finally got there in that grand stage of the world, and they didn't get there. And then others who had planned all of their lives for that one unbelievable moment and finally did arrive. And the medal was placed around their neck and the flowers in their hand and the national anthem came up and tears began to flow. I was overwhelmed every single time I watched it. I am glad it's only on every four years. I got to get a life after it's over. I mean, you, no matter what you think about some of the athletes, when you look at what Michael Phelps accomplished, it really was amazing. And Missy Franklin, who no one ever even had heard of much to that point, to that smile that would light up a city, and then to do what she did. David Bediah, I don't know if you know his story, he's a really solid believer in Christ and had the opportunity to share his faith on a number of occasions and at one point didn't even make the cut. And then, bare, I'm sorry, barely made the cut and then wins the gold medal in the diving accomplishment. The volleyball girls who did it three times on the beach and year after year in preparation, I mean, my body continues to deteriorate day by day. I can't imagine at that level staying that sharp to accomplish that much. Even Andy Murray, even the professionals, uh, I haven't been thrilled with the fact that professionals come into it the way they have since the late 80s, but when you watch them accomplish what they do and then see the emotion that comes with that, it really is pretty overwhelming. Every time I watch Usain Bolt, the guy who won the, the medal for the 100 and the 200 dash, every time I watch him, more anytime, anytime I hear him, I think of the verse in Scripture where Paul said in Romans, to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but I don't think he can think more highly of himself than he already thinks. <laughs> I, I practiced that three times just to make sure that I... Really, do, you, do you really? I mean, he can't think more highly of himself than he already thinks, but he is amazing. I love the stories behind the scenes. Did any of you watch the one-hour segment about what it was like for England to go through the bombing of Germany and night after night after night for, I think it was all just 70 nights? I mean, we go through experiences that are, are overwhelming and, and deteriorate so many situations and circumstances with hurricanes, but I, I couldn't even fathom what it was like. I, I tried to picture what it must have been like being in that environment. So far ago, we, we almost forget what it was like, but night after night for 50, 60, 70 nights, they were bombed by Germany night after night after night. And then the athletes and the stories behind them. Oscar Pistorius, the... Uh, runner from South Africa on the 
carbon fiber blades and Karani James from Grenada winning gold in the 400-meter race and the only gold his entire nation won. And then he took his placard off. Y'all see that? We took his name off and handed it to Pistorius and wanted his back. And it, it epitomized to me the, the nature of the game. It's not about what I accomplished. It's about what you have accomplished when he watched that man run. Jessica Ennis of Great Britain winning the the hepcathathlon and, and all of those events. I, I love what Bruce Jenner said about Usain Bolt. You know, it's, he is amazing. He runs really fast, but can you throw a javelin? Can you, can you do the long jump? And you look at guys like that who do so many events and still come out shining like gold. It really is amazing. I love, pride, love the pride the athletes showed for winning for their country and the tears that flowed as a national anthem was played. And again, so many solid believers. I downloaded an app. So I could see some of the events that I wouldn't have seen normally, like the equestrian and the archery and the shooting competitions, and listen to stories of some of them and their faith. And it was really intriguing how they allowed so many stories to come through about people's faith. As I began to watch all of those and know that in a couple of weeks I was going to be in First Peter verses 1 to 9, I thought, oh man, this is, this is just too good to be true. Because when I look at an event like that and, and know every four years it's going to come and I look at all the spectacular wonder that goes with it and the opening ceremony and the fire and the, 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 the thunder and the arena that goes with that and people from every language and every nation and every tribe, you know what I'm thinking of, right? The future. When God has a future reserved for us that you can't even fathom right now, matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, mine can't conceive what God has in store for you. And when I look at all of that and think of what it must have been like for that guy to pull that off, and it was all said and done after the opening ceremonies and everything was orchestrated so perfectly, I can't even put two feet in front of one another right every once in a while to make sure they go right. And this guy had that amazing array all unfold to perfection. And then I think, God, what is it going to be like someday when I see you face to face? When we have the opportunity from every tribe and every language and every tongue and every nation to gather around the throne and to give you praise and adoration for all of time. And we'll be able to sing and we'll be able to celebrate. And then to know that it's the king of kings who's going to honor me. I want to honor him. I want to bow before him. I want to kiss his feet. I want to hold his hands. I want to put my arms around his neck. And then to know, as Paul said, he's going to give me a reward. There's no way. And no matter what I see on those events and no matter how stunned I am, it pales in comparison to what God has in store for us. When after all of life's challenges and all of life's difficulties, everything will be over and I'll receive that final prize from Jesus himself. When everything we've looked forward to is fulfilled, when all of our dreams of heaven come true, when the difficulties of life will pale in comparison to what God has in store for us. Those athletes worked through pain and difficulty for years for one prize, and hundreds of them didn't even get an acknowledgement, let alone a prize. But Paul said there's going to come a day when at the judgment seat of Christ is the Bema seat, which is really after a, a model of the Greek Olympic Games, is when the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to call my name forward. Oh, man going to call my name forward, and he's going to honor me, and he'll place a crown on my head. I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. I can't even imagine what it's like for one of them to stand there that day and to bow their head in a ribbon and a, and a, and a 
an award be around their neck and a medal shining like as bright as gold and the flowers in their hands and the national anthem and the exuberance and the celebration and the tears. That's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like someday that God has in store for us. And I know that's one of the reasons that every time I see it and every time I watch it and every time I experience it, I look forward to the promises of God in Scripture. One of them is found this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd love for you to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read just the first nine verses. If you have your Bibles, if not, there's one in front of you. Your Kindle, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever's necessary. Uh, version app, get it. If you don't have it, you can download it offline and, and you can have your Bible everywhere you go. If you carry yours, great. Read an article this week. Somebody said, well, now we got all these e-versions and of the Bible, the Bible's going to go away. And Zondervan publisher himself, who publishes so many Bibles, said, look, we're not worried. We're just thrilled that more and more people have the Word of God in their hands. Radio didn't disappear because television appeared. And the Bible's not going to go away. It's the number one selling book in all the world. And so if you have the opportunity, get one of those other versions, read it. However you need to get it, as you heard me say last Sunday morning, it is your lifeblood. Don't go anywhere without it. Now you can. Go nowhere without it. You can have it right with you. 1 Peter chapter 1. Get your sermon notes in your, your uh, bulletin, so take those out and follow along with me. I think they're dark blue, right? Am I right? All right. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, scattered everywhere. From all kinds of places like Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. You've been chosen by God to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. While you may have <clears throat> in this you greatly rejoice, for though now you may have to suffer for a little while all kinds of trials, but just so you know, then verse 7, that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which really is of more value or greater worth than gold, which, by the way, perishes even though refined by fire, fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's just one little glimpse into what Peter says for us in the future. I do want to remind you, as I will, as we go through this series, that Peter is writing to people who are going through enormous difficulty. He's not writing to people who are sitting in church having a great day and wonderful celebration in a really safe environment. He's writing to people who are going, have gone, and probably will go through some really difficult times. It's not when it's going to happen. It already is happening. It's not how long it's going to last. It's when will it end. Matter of fact, that theme is going to carry its way all the way through the book of 1 Peter. 
In the midst of difficulty and pain, Peter encourages his readers to do something that may or may not come natural, but in the midst of all of that pain and all of that difficulty and all of that uncertainty, he says, I want to give you some encouragement. I would love for you to praise God. In the midst of all of your pain, all of your difficulty, I want you to praise God, which really, to be honest with you, is a great remedy for those whose hearts are weighed down with discouragement and grief. And if we're really honest, it's not always easy to do, but praise may be one of the last things you feel like doing, but one of the most amazing healing things you'll ever experience when you go through difficulty. A few hours from now, really uh, at 1 o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to do a funeral service for a lady that I adored, Helen Johnson. And we're going to sing and we're going to mourn because it's very difficult to say goodbye to someone you love. But I know exactly where she's at. You hear the phrase so often, we lost her, we didn't lose her, we know exactly where she's at. She's in heaven seeing Jesus face to face, reunited with John, her love, and seeing Christ. And as painful as it is to say goodbye to someone you really love, we know like the Apostle Paul that we don't mourn like those who have no hope because our hope is in Christ. A few weeks ago, we had a funeral service for Chuck Birch. Again, I loved him and died in my estimation way too early. When we planned on Saturday morning, the funeral service, the family said, we want to do something pretty different. We really want to praise God. For a lot of people that were there that night, it was probably the first experience like that in a funeral service that maybe they'd ever experienced, where that much praise and that much celebration took place for someone that we loved and adored and hated to say goodbye to. But it's what they wanted. It's what they asked for. And boy, it's what we did. It was probably one of the most amazing services I ever sat in and ever experienced. And I had their permission to share that. But that family was astounding to me as I watched them go through that pain and then listen to them want to do the one thing that wouldn't come natural but probably was so amazingly healing was to praise. And so when I got to this section of Scripture, I thought that's what Peter said we ought to do. In the midst of all of that pain and all that difficulty, praise. Peter gives him the reason for praise. He says it right there in that verse, By his great mercy, you and I have been given life. Not because, as we sang a moment ago, of anything we have done, and certainly not because of anything we deserve, but according to God's great mercy, we have been given life. And not life for now only, but a future life. A living hope of a life to come. Living indicates that it grows and increases in strength and intensity year by year. A confident expectation of the life that is to come is one of the best things God could give us to keep us going in this present life, especially when we face pain, difficulty, discouragement, and even the possibility of death. Peter says, I'm going to give you the best gift I can give you, the promises of God. New Testament regularly uses the word inheritance to refer not only to an earthly inheritance, but also to a believer's share in the heavenly kingdom of our reward given to us by Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Israelites kept going because God made a promise to them that they would have an inheritance called Canaan. And in spite of all of the difficulty and all the trials and all the struggles of that 40-year wandering in the wilderness, God says, just, just trust me. You've got to keep going. You want to keep going because there's something in front of you that you may not be able to see right now that will absolutely be amazing. 
You can't see it. You can't experience it. You don't even know what it's like because you've never been there before. But I'm telling you, keep on going because you won't believe what Canaan's going to be like. A land flowing with milk and honey, one that will take your breath away. And so they kept on going even if they couldn't see it. Paul said the same thing. So does Peter in this particular context. I've got an inheritance for you who you can't even imagine. I don't know what your parents are going to give you or may have already given you if they've passed away or what inheritance you will receive or already have received from your family because they've passed away. But I promise you this, it, has, it will be nothing like what God has in prayer for you. The inheritance we have in Jesus. The heavenly inheritance, he says here, is imperishable. Meaning that it's not subject to decay. It will not fade away. Even those Olympic medals, as shiny as they are, will eventually tarnish. Even Peter says that gold, though refined by fire, will still tarnish. And eventually, someday, those ribbons will fade. And after a while, they may not even know where they are. And some who've had uh, Olympic medals and, and, and Super Bowl rings have had to sell them because their life got so difficult and the bottom fell out and they didn't know what to do with it. And now they don't even know where they are. But I'm telling you, he says, I've got something in store for you that will never fade away and will never, ever tarnish. Undefiled means unstained by sin. As perfect as perfect can be. Do you ever wonder what perfect, I mean absolute perfection is. God says, I have it for you. I have it reserved for you. It cannot disappoint us. You know and I know that we have those times in our life where, honest, honest sweetheart, if I just get this one, I'll, be, I'll, I'll finally be satisfied. I won't want any more after this one. If I just get this car, this house, this gun, this rifle, this golf club, whatever that may be, when I get that one, I won't need any more. I'll be okay. Only to find when you finally got it, you what? Want another one, or a better one, or a bigger one, or a brighter one, or a shinier one, or a faster one. But he said, I'm telling you, what God has in store for us will totally exceed your expectations, and you won't want anything more. Unfading, our wealth and rewards will fade and tarnish and could easily slip away. God's promises won't. You and I both know how over the last few years in our economic recession, how easily our retirement savings can slip away. But it won't happen with what God has in store for us. A few months ago when we had a, an advisor here from the national office in about what we have, and I just started one when I moved here, and, and he looked at my portfolio and I looked at his eyes and they were kind of sad. And I said, I'm going to need to keep preaching until the day I die, right? And he said, probably so. But what God has in store for us will be amazing and will never slip away. Notice the words that Peter keeps using to help us understand how valuable. He just keeps building on building and building on it. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, he says. The form of the verb kept indicates a completed past activity by God. God himself, in your notes, has stored up and reserved this inheritance in heaven. And it will continue to be there. No matter how long it takes for us to get there, it will be there. It will never be denied us. Then Peter makes an amazing statement. He said, it's kept in heaven for you. That switch from us to you is the first time that Peter used the second person plural pronoun when he makes that reservation and makes that word. And it makes it much more personal because it's no longer about us and what we have to look forward to. He said, I want you to know this is kept in heaven for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and the list goes on. 
Now, when God himself looks down and says, I want you to know what I have for you, that personalizes it for me. And I know it's not some just generic reward that all of us will receive. I get what God has in store for me. Peter's readers would have been anxious about whether or not they're ever going to make it to that. And he keeps reminding them over and over again, if they just stay faithful, regardless of how deep the suffering feels and how long the persecution lasts, stay faithful. He assures them in this particular context here, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Guarded means kept safe, carefully watched. What I love about this is carefully watched and guarded by the hand of God kept and guarded by his power, sustained by his power. You see, our focus in your sermon notes can't be on our trials, but what we can become as we go through them. Controlled by God, he says in here, and someone, and I think I put it in your sermon notes, a great statement that I heard years and years ago in that piece where he said, even for a little while, it says God has his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock, means he won't let it go up one more degree than what he wants it to be. And he won't let you stay and suffer one more minute than he wants you to at that particular moment. Shaping and creating in you what he needs to at that particular time through that particular process. And as I said last Sunday morning, he knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly what you need. All of our Christian experience seems to point to that final day. That final revelation of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, Peter said, it'll bring praise and glory and honor to him. And we'll bring it to him if we've been faithful in this life and we stay faithful to the end, the one who abandons his faith is why Peter says, don't let go, don't give up, keep holding on. The one who abandons his faith when they're going gets tough really doesn't have faith at all because it washes away at the first instant. Job in Job 23 said he knows what it will take and he knows the way I take that when he has tested me, I'll come forth shining like gold. In your sermon notes, Satan wants to use our trials to bring out the worst in us, to get us to back off, to quit believing in God, to go another direction, to walk away from Christianity. God wants to use them at times to bring out the best in us. He doesn't do it for all of us. He doesn't do it in a way different for you than somebody else, or does do it in a way different for you than somebody else, but all of us at one point or the other in our spiritual life will go through those moments where God will use that refiner's fire to bring out the best in us if we allow him to and don't give up look at what he says in verse 8 our faith is not confidence in what we see it is confidence in what i know that's why paul could say in romans 8 i'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor the present or the future or any power neither height or depth nor anything else in all of creation will ever ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord I would say in Timothy, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for my shame because I know in whom I have believed it. And I am absolutely convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. A joy that words cannot describe. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, if you keep your hearts and minds stayed on him, he will give you a peace that doesn't make sense. When I again walked through that family experience with the Birch family, I was overwhelmed at their knowledge of God, but more importantly, at this peace that in the midst of all of the pain didn't make sense but came because their hearts and minds were stayed on Him. That's what I've watched in Helen's family in these days of knowing that it's painful to say goodbye to someone you love, 
but knowing that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where they are, not because they were a great person or a good person as much as they were, but because they knew Christ as Savior and they see him face to face the moment they walked into glory. In a three-month period of time, I lost four good friends, all of whom were in my cell phone book. Not just people that I knew or people that I knew that were in a phone book. They were in my cell phone book. Almost from day one to, to, to day, the next day of that three-month period, from one span to the other. All of them, from my vantage point and from everyone I talked to, to be honest with you, were too young to die. None of which... If I can, again, be honest and vulnerable, I would think have finished their work here on earth. Now, we say that, and I get it, and I understand it. Their work on earth was done, and I understand that. But from my human vantage point, that's difficult for me to process. Because I, I don't think, from my vantage point, their work on earth would have been done. But I found myself during that time asking, how do you make sense of this? And as a pastor and a friend, what do you say to keep the families going? And what keeps them going? You can use logic, but to be honest with you, from a logical standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Tom still had a family to raise. Josiah still had a life to live. He was 22. Lorinda still has so much ministry to do, so many more people to reach. Chuck still has so much more service to give and grandkids to raise. So logic, to me, doesn't make sense. You can't let your feelings guide you through it. They're as unpredictable as the stock market and unreliable as the weatherman's forecast. Sometimes, if we're real honest, we feel like giving up. But you can't. Because to do that would, would, in a way, seem to make their death somewhat in vain. If because of that, with all of our faith in Christ, we just give up and walk away from our Christianity. So what do you do? What keeps them going? This <laughs> and that. What keeps them going? Verses like we've shared this morning. A future and a hope that is amazing as anyone could ever imagine. The promise of heaven, a future that is secure, not in safes or banks, but by the promise of God Almighty. The promise of Jesus himself in John 14 that I'll read in an hour and 50 minutes that my Father has many rooms reserved for you and I go now and prepare a place for you and when I go I'll come back and get you and I'll take you to myself and we'll so be together forever. The promise of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he said, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died so that we don't sorrow like the rest of mankind because we have hope, they don't. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe also that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you this, that we who are alive, who are left of the coming of Jesus, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with the Lord. We'll meet them all in the air, and so we'll be forever with the Lord. So encourage each other with those words. In the words of 1 Peter, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's what keeps them going. That's the only thing 
in the midst of all the pain and all the anxiety and all the suffering and all the wishing and wondering as to why they would have, God would take them out of this world. The thing that would keep them going and has kept them going and will keep them going is to know that they will see Jesus face to face and they will see their loved ones again face to face because every single one of them knew Christ. And the beauty of all of this, it is not just for a few. It is for all of us. The words that were written that have been preserved through time when heaven and earth will pass away and my words will never pass away, every single one of the promises of God was available to everyone and anyone who would come in and anyone who would ask. There may be a lot of uncertainty of life and a lot of whys and a lot of questions and a lot of wonderings about why this, why that, and I don't understand this and it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm telling you, the one thing you don't want to wonder about is your future destiny. The one thing you want to know absolutely for sure is where you'll go when you die. Because as sure as I'm standing here, it will happen to all of us, and many of us at a time you couldn't imagine, and a time you didn't think you were ready yet. As precious and valuable as life is, that's the one thing you and I both want to know for sure, and I don't want to have to wonder about my future destiny. I want to know for sure. And the beauty of everything that's promised in the Word of God is not for a select few who happen to be in a certain church at a certain time on a Sunday morning. It's for all of us, and all you need to do is reach out and take hold of it. Confess your sins and recognize you need a Savior. And to recognize that He already died on the cross for your sins and He made it available so that you could have life, and not just for now, but for eternity. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. On Sunday morning, September the 18th, July the 18th in 2010, one of the busiest highways in Europe became what some called the longest cable in the world. You may have read about it in Daily Bread and other places. Officials closed a 37-mile section of the Autobahn in Germany. And they set up 20,000 tables for people to sit at. And people did. From everywhere you can imagine, from all kinds of walks of life, they sat at those tables and over 2 million people gathered and sat around those tables for a particular period of time and then life went on. And the author and I myself had already gone ahead of him when I knew where he was going with that and thought, can you imagine in your mind what it's going to be like someday when we stand around and sit around the table of God? A day when all of us are gathered together from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all languages and tongues and tribes and nations, which is why all of that that I showed you at the beginning is so valuable or so meaningful to me because it depicts a day well beyond the scope and magnitude of any auditorium when people will gather from every walk of life, every stage and every language and every barrier will be broken down. And people from every tribe and every nation and every language will gather around at the table of God. And they will celebrate, they will sing, and they will see Jesus face to face. And they will know that everything that he had promised them had come true, and then some. Because Paul said you can't quite even conceive what God has for us. When we celebrate communion, we are reminded of the words of Jesus. In the upper room, he said to his disciples, I want you to know that I, I'm taking this bread, we're going to pass it around, and it represents my body from which you'll receive life. Pass it around, and they did. And they understood the dynamics of that in a practical way, but it was not until really a, 
A couple days later, as they gathered and processed everything, then they had seen that they now knew what he meant. He took a cup and filled it with, with wine, and he passed it around and said, everybody take some, and they did. And he said, this cup stands as a new covenant, bought and paid for by the price of my blood, no longer by the sacrifice of blood and rams will your sins be forgiven. They'll be forgiven only because of me. That's why he said, I am the only way. No one comes to God but through him. And then he made a statement after that. And all of them, most of them record it when he said, I won't do this again until that day when we're all together and we're all around that large table that no one can even fathom how big it must be. And I'll share with you together. And then I'll serve it and we'll celebrate. And now and then you'll know everything that I promised was true. And we'll celebrate forever. There's going to come a day when we will be at the largest table anyone could ever fathom. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords are going to serve us communion. In a few moments, some great communion stores are going to come down. They're going to serve you and, and we'll all share together. But picture in your mind what it's going to be like someday when we're there and he does it. And we sing and we celebrate like you can't believe. That's what's in store for us. If we know Christ is our Savior. And the beauty of that statement, it is available to everyone. Do not walk out of this place today without knowing that you know for sure that Jesus is yours. When we celebrate communion, normally here, and that's okay, we celebrate it in a kind of a reflective way. And, and that's great because it, it at times deserves that. But this morning we're not. And I hope you're okay with that. We're going to sing. They're going to serve. They're going to lead us. I mean, immediately. The moment they come down and start serving, we're going to sing. And we're going to celebrate. And then we're going to end really up <laughs> and enjoy this wonderful gift of life that God has given us and an amazing promise that will blow you away. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross, bless and anoint what we do in these moments together. May the wonder and majesty and glory of what's in front of us and what we hold in our hands be so unbelievably real that it takes our breath away. In Jesus' name.